Welcome, everybody, to episode 492 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm talking about Monster Kid Radio, and I'm talking about you tuning in to a podcast where we're going to talk about the movie The Long Hair of Death with my friend, fellow podcaster, Steve Turek. My name is Derek M. Cook, and I am your writer, host, producer, and everything else that I do here at the podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here, partly because I'm excited to play the song Reanimated from the band The Creature Preachers. They are a surf band based out of Warner Robins, Georgia, and this song comes from their brand new album, Halloween Hullabaloo. You can find them at thecreaturepreachers.bandcamp.com or follow the link in the show notes. You're going to hear the song in its entirety at the end of this episode because that's what we do. Y'all know, you know how we do here. Anyway, we're going to talk about The Long Hair of Death with Stephen Turek. Stephen Turek is a fellow podcaster. He is one of the guiding forces behind the Diecast movie podcast, which is available where all amazing podcasts are sold, downloaded, given away, podcasted from... You know, just look up Diecast Movie Review. I'll also make sure there's a link in the show notes as well, so you can follow that. Also, we have some listener feedback. We'll be doing that. And we have, of course, Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland and what is becoming a regular segment here, and I'm so glad that it is, Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review. There's a few other things we're going to go over in this episode as well, like tell you that the ballot for the 2020 Monster Rally Retro Awards, you know, the rallies that we talked about last week with Stephen D. Sullivan. Well, you can find the ballot now at tinyurl.com slash rallies2020, or as always, follow the link in the show notes. You have until the end of this month, you have until Halloween Day itself to get your ballot in. Please, only one ballot per person. If more than one ballot comes in with your name on it, I have to throw out all of the ballots with your name on it. You know what I mean? So hop on over there, vote and vote early. And then, of course, in November, make sure you voted for, you know, something that really matters in the grand scheme of things. But yeah, make sure you vote for the rallies as well. Also in this episode, I want to tell you about what's going on this Saturday in the Monster Kid Movie Club. And you know what? I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm not going to make you wait if you were in the Monster Kid Movie Club this past Saturday, or if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter, you may have seen the ad. You may have already found out that I am teaming up with Gary Kahn for their first Autumn Revel. What does this mean? Well, the Autumn Revel has gone virtual, and it's just a way for them to kind of keep the con thing going, even though we can't really get together in person. And really, if it wasn't virtual, there's no way I could be involved because they are based out of Wisconsin. I'm here in Oregon, and I'm not able to travel. So since it's virtual, I can get involved, and I'm getting involved by teaming up with them for the Monster Kid Movie Club this weekend. Now, things are changing up a little bit. The schedule is going to be a little different. We are starting at noon central time and then we're going to be going till at least 9 p.m central time now you're going to see some movies that are still relevant to what we do here on monster kid radio but you're also going to see some movies that have kind of a fantasy or a genre bent that is maybe more role-playing game friendly so you're going to see things like the magic sword which we're bringing back i know we showed that before but we're bringing that one back it's a bernie gordon film come on you're going to see guns of the apocalypse which is christopher rmm's spaghetti midwestern you're also going to see things like prisoners of the lost planet and <laughs> robo vampire yeah robo vampire in fact we're probably going to close the night with robo vampire because it's um it's a movie 
We also have a number of short films we're going to be showing as well. A couple of Conan the Barbarian fan films. Remember I said Conan, it comes up again later in this episode. We even have a Lord of the Rings fan film we're going to be showing, and a few other fan films and amateur productions, indie films that have to do with gaming and that sort of thing, but they're all good. Trust me, guys and gals. Also, Tracy Morris's Stuffed with Character, she made a special figure for this Gary Khan crossover. I don't want to tell you what it is, but I will tell you it's gaming relevant, but it's also monster relevant. And I think you're going to like it. So make sure you come by on Saturday. And if none of this other stuff sounds good to you, how about this? I'm doing a reading. Actually, how about this? I'm doing two readings. I'm going to be reading a story from Monster Hunter for Hire, the first collection of Mark Temple short stories. And you're going to hear a story that has never been published. After you listen to it, you can decide whether or not there's the reason for that. But I'll be reading a story that's never been published called The Sun. And when I say sun, I mean S-O-N. So The Sun and then Are You My Mummy from Monster Hunter for Hire. I'll be posting the schedule probably later on Thursday afternoon, early evening. You can always find out about that over on Facebook or on Twitter. Stephen E. Sullivan's also going to be helping with the hosting. He'll be in the chat room. And of course, the chat room's going to be there. I'll be there all day as well, for the most part. And it's just going to be a good time. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really excited about this, especially since I've been getting into gaming again lately. And yeah, it's just going to be a lot of fun. You know, speaking of the Monster Kid Movie Club, let's just go ahead and talk about what's coming up for that as well. So Gary Khan, Autumn Revel, this weekend, next weekend, on the 17th. We're going to go back to our normal schedule where we start the pre-show at 11 a.m. Pacific and then roll into the movies around noon. We're doing it up Ansel Farage style. We're going to be showing Loon Lake, you know, the feature film that he's been on the show a couple of times to talk about. We're going to be showing Loon Lake. We're going to be showing some of his other work as well. And he and Nathan and Kelly from the film are going to be in the chat room too. Oh man, that's going to be awesome. And then on the 24th, the Monster Kid Movie Club is going to go for the ladies. So we're going to be showing movies like Wasp Woman, Voyage to the Planet of Prehistoric Women, these kinds of movies. All the movies will be about the ladies. That's right. We'll be talking about Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. You'll be seeing that as well. So even though it's for the ladies, and I promise I'm going to stop saying it that way, everybody can come. And then, of course, the following weekend after that is Halloween. Oh, boy. Halloween is coming up fast, ladies and gentlemen. And you know what we're doing for Halloween around here? Starting on the 25th, which is the last Sunday of the month, the Monster Kid Movie Club is going to throw its doors open all week long. Now, I can't promise it's going to be going 24-7, but I can tell you that you're going to see a lot and hear a lot on the Monster Kid Movie Club Twitch channel leading up to Halloween. We're calling it Halloween Week, which is really creative, I know. It's going to be a lot of fun. I have gotten permission to show some movies that I've never shown on the show before. I've gotten permission from some independent filmmakers, some short filmmakers, some filmmakers that I'm friends with through the Lovecraft Film Festival circle. It's just going to be one heck of a lineup. And I know I've kind of alluded to this before. I am looking for people to participate in a live thing through Discord. Discord is something that, I mean, it's free, but we can use it for chatting both audio and video. So here's what I'm looking for. I need, hopefully we can make this work, <laughs> 11 people that I can coordinate and have everybody on at the exact same time. And all of these people have to have a good internet connection, a good webcam, and a good microphone because I'm trying to set up 
a game show. Now, I don't know if it's going to happen the week of Halloween or if it'll happen beforehand. kind of depends on who I can get on board, that sort of thing. If I can't do the big game show idea that I have in mind, you know, we'll still pare it down. But we're going to do a game show of some sort, a quiz show. I don't know what the prize will be. Uh, maybe the prize will be that you get to be on an upcoming episode of Monster Kid Radio. Ooh. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm looking for that as well. So if this is something that you think you might be interested in, and I know a handful of you have already reached out to me, shoot me an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com and let me know what a good time would be to test your connection to make sure the tech side of it all works out. And then we'll start lining it up to make it happen. I feel like this introduction has gone on a long time, so I'm going to stop the yapping and get on with the podcasting right now. Creatures from the grave. Avenge me. I've summoned you. Avenge me. Go back to the dead. In a dreadful night of reckoning, the forces of darkness strike with blood freezing horror. You're here. A nightmare of diabolical happenings Conceived in a murder-haunted house of blood By the maniac called Geronimus A dead man With the monstrous power to return from his grave I saw him. What are you saying? Can't you see the boat is empty? Look! Look! There's water dripping from the oars. A bone-chilling shocker, inspired by Edgar Allan Poe. Terror Creatures from the Grave, starring Barbara Steele. Hello, I'm Robert Kelly. If that name doesn't sound familiar to you, don't worry, it shouldn't. I'm not famous or noteworthy, just a guy who loves giant monster movies and wants to share his love. On my upcoming podcast, Record All Monsters, I'll be doing just that. With my friends, family, and sometimes some special guests who know more about it than I do. So join us on Record All Monsters. You might not learn anything, but we'll have a good time. Maybe. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Airing for the first time on February 6th, 1966, Ultra Q's sixth episode, Grow Up Little Turtle, marks an almost complete departure from the show's established tone, trading science fiction and kaiju action for a fanciful urban fable. The story concerns a schoolboy named Taro who is heavily invested in trying to make his pet turtle grow, and who has a hard time telling adults the truth. This latter trait comes back to bite him when he witnesses a bank robbery from the school's rooftop. His teacher refuses to believe him and sends Taro and his turtle home. 
But when the boy and his pet get mixed up with the very bank robbers he observed from the roof, his life seems to be in danger, until Gameron, the turtle, finally begins to rapidly grow. And that's when things get really weird. Grow Up Little Turtle is deliberately aimed at younger viewers. The main protagonist, Taro, is kind of an every kid with a propensity to tell tall tales, but also with an admirable devotion to his pet turtle. The realism of the school setting would have been all too familiar for children, and Ultra Q's hip theme song is switched out for a more childlike motif. The fantasy portion of the tale unfolds with all the logic of a child's imagination and includes a fleeting cameo by dragon serpent Manda, three years removed from his star turn in Atragon, and two years before his brief but memorable appearance in Destroy All Monsters. This is a dynamic, cinematic, and somewhat perplexing episode, at least for Western viewers. It would likely help to know that the story is based on a fairy tale called Arashima Taro, which is often taught in the form of a song in Japanese schools. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. your eyes, <laughs> for on the day you look upon them, you will surely die. House of the Gorgon. Why don't you let us alone? Get back on your train and leave us alone. Rumors circling around, uh, mysterious happenings at night. Uh, Strange noises emanating from the dark. Leave Karlstadt. Leave now and never come back. Stay away from them. They mean you great harm. Starring Caroline Monroe as the Baroness. What was the sinister secret she hid beneath her dark spectacles? Martine Beswick as her sister Uriel, malevolent and evil. You would sacrifice all that we've done merely to quench your innate desire for violence. Oh, what if I did? Veronica Carlson as Anna, the one woman in the village of Karlstadt willing to stand against these angels of death. I can fight you. We can fight you. Christopher Neem as Llewellyn, a man of faith. Locked in mortal combat with overwhelming evil. If we leave them alone, maybe they'll leave us alone. Also starring Joshua Kennedy as the mysterious Dr. Pritchard. And introducing Georgina Dugdale, Gooey Film's latest star discovery. The Gorgon's most beautiful victim. See all of this and more when you visit the House of the Gorgon. Cast you out! Every unclean spirit, every satanic power, in the name and by the power of our Lord Jesus Christ!
foreboding place of no return. Hercules in the haunted world. An unearthly world of eternal darkness. Ghostly kingdom of the undead demons of death. From these horrifying, hideous creatures of evil, Hercules and his friend must save their doomed kingdom and the women they love. Hercules wants something. He always wants something. But when I return, I'll never leave you again. This I promise you. Hercules and Theseus battle treacherous, monstrous forces of evil in the forbidden depths of a haunted underworld. The stone you are made, and by stone you shall be destroyed! I will serve you as your slave as long as you live. Save me, I beg Stop! You. It's a trap! Don't trust the shadows of Hades! Nefarious, fiendish Lyco, mastermind of terror, must be destroyed. Reg Park as the heroic Hercules in the haunted world. What number is this? What am I calling? You're in the feedback section of the show, and we have an email that came in from friend of the show, Kurt. I'm going to wake up the monster in the machine and have him read the email, and then I'll respond. Here we go. Hi, Derek. The latest MKR episode was entertaining as ever. I love the energy and enthusiasm that Steve Sullivan and you infuse into the proceedings. I hate to nitpick, but Steve made a goof and repeated it several times. He said that the lead actor who played the scientist in The Devil Doll was Lionel Atwell. That's not correct, although it would have been great to see Atwell as the scientist. The scientist in The Devil Doll was played by Lionel Barrymore, not Lionel Atwell. The Devil Doll is one of my favorite films directed by Todd Browning. It features a nice score by Franz, Bride of Frankenstein Waxman. Highly recommended. Keep up the great work. All the best. Kurt. Yeah, so Steve and I talked about that both privately, and then I think it came up publicly on Facebook as well. Um, it wasn't just him. I know that he kept saying the wrong Lionel, but then I did the edit, so it's also on me for not catching it as well. We know which Lionel was in The Devil Doll. I did make sure it's correct on the ballot for the rallies over at tinyurl.com slash rallies2020. It is Lionel Atwell. Lionel Barrymore, different dude. Did some other cool stuff, but yeah. And you know what? I just screwed it up again right now. It's Barrymore that's in the freaking movie. Oh, man. You know what? The ballot's correct. And Kurt, you're correct. Thank you for writing in. And you know, every time I watch The Devil Doll, and I watch it you know, maybe once a year, sometimes because I forgot that I watched it, but then as soon as I started up, I remember that I did watch it and that I really liked it. I don't know why Todd Browning didn't get credited for his direction on the movie. Todd Browning doesn't get enough credit for things that he did outside of Dracula. And I know a lot of times people have some pretty polarizing views regarding Todd Browning's effectiveness as a director of Dracula, but he did so much more. I mean, his work with Lon Chaney Sr. is amazing. And then, of course, movies like The Devil Doll, 
all shows that he knows what he's doing. And you're absolutely right. The score, Franz Waxman, you don't have a lot of Franz Waxman in the monster movie category. He did Bride of Frankenstein, of course, and a few other things here and there. But, I mean, Franz Waxman. It's good stuff. Kurt, thank you for writing in, man. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. The She-Beast. Deadlier than Dracula, wilder than the werewolf, more frightening than Frankenstein. Another victim of a strange revenge, wreaked on the innocent from beyond the grave. Hurling a town into a terrifying struggle against the powers of darkness. The witch Verdella, known to be dead for centuries, comes to blood-chilling life before disbelieving eyes. Unleashing all manner of monstrous evil in the town in which she was supposed to have breathed her last. Christopher Lee and Bert Eklund star in Anthony Schaffer's internationally award-winning fable of the ancient gods, The Wicker Man, the most controversial film of the decade. I know, I know, I know. Right than anybody. Phallic symbol. The phallic symbol. That is correct. It is venerated in religions such as ours as symbolizing the generative force in nature. Could, could I have a word with you, please, miss? Certainly. Yes. Open your desk and take out your exercise books. Everywhere I go on this island, it seems to me I find degeneracy. There is brawling in bars. There is indecency in public places. And there is corruption of the young. And now I see it all stems from here. It stems from the filth taught here in this very schoolroom. <laughs> Paganism, human sacrifice, the wicker man. Oh my God! Christ! At the Meadowbrook Cinema. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. The star of today's film, Barbara Steele, had an article dedicated to her in issue 162 from April of 1980. It was seven pages long with eight photos. It introduced the star with these words. She is the only actress in films whose eyelids can snarl. If you want to know what that cryptic quote really means, just take a look at Terror Creatures from the Grave, The She-Beast, Black Sunday, That Ghoulish Jim from 1960 or any of a number of other gothic chillers that starred the raven-haired beauty, that sultry satanic siren, Barbara Steele. Barbara Steele is one of filmdom's most alluring and elusive horror heroines. Paradoxically, she can capture your heart and freeze it while portraying the most vile vampires, the most ghastly ghosts, the most wicked witch. Has any other female fiend been able to match this accomplishment? Cinematically speaking, Barbara Steele is to men what Christopher Lee is to women. Desirable, but deadly. The article continues with a look at her career from grade school to the present. It takes time to give a synopsis of the classic Black Sunday and the Pit and the Pendulum. It also describes her time in Italy when today's film, Long Hair of Death, appears. 
Probably the reason Barbara did not rise to superstardom was her decision to return to her native Italy. Consequently, most of her subsequent pictures were Italian-made and English-dubbed, and English-speaking audiences are too busy watching and raving about their own domestic products to pay much attention to imported films. Regrettably, many of Barbara's pictures went directly from Italy into a death-like trance on American TV. Barbara was seen in 1964 in The Long Hair of Death, a tale of torture and witchcraft in which she appeared as an avenging ghost. The article also chronicles her brief retirement in 1968 and her return in films from Roger Corman and David Cronenberg. In the conclusion, we have these interesting answers to interviewer questions. Interviewed by David Devaye, Miss Steele commented upon her memorable role in The Pit and the Pendulum, saying that she did all her scenes in only two days. Asked if it hurt when Vincent Price choked her, she replied, I was immobilized by fear and awe of him. To the question, what was it like working with Boris Karloff? She replied, he was the warmest, gentlest person you could imagine, an ideal grandfather. She observed, I've noted that playing vixens, I always get a lot of attention lying on tombstones covered with ketchup. Her impression of Christopher Lee? Grand, awesome in person with a grandiose physical presence, but actually shy behind the facade. Future hope to remake Dracula's Daughter with myself and Gloria Holden's role as Countess Dracula and my good friend Martine Beeswick as my victim. Parting message, horror films will rise again. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. Okay, I, um, <laughs> uh, the idea of Barbara Steele remaking Dracula's, st- wow, just, um, wow. And with Martine Beswick, I'm curious, uh, Josh Kennedy, if you are listening, do you know if your wife knew about her hopes to, uh, to knew about Barbara Steele's hopes, that is, to have Dracula's daughter remade with her in, wow. <clears throat> Mind blown. Dracula's daughter. The sound you hear is dripping blood. This is the start of Black Sunday.
Black Sunday comes but once every hundred years. On that day, the undead demons of hell rise to unleash an orgy of evil on the world. From Nicolaj Gogol's great classic, American International Pictures presents Black Sunday, the most frightening motion picture you have ever seen. She was murdered 500 years ago. There in the barren waste that was her cemetery, they nailed the mask of Satan to her face. Not since Dracula stalked the earth has there been such an unspeakable day and night as Black Sunday. Doesn't it seem strange for the doctor to bury his wife in his laboratory? Yes, but you must admit the good doctor's a little strange himself, isn't he? The good doctor is more than a little strange. He's a lot loony. And he gets more so with every cute corpse he chalks up. And every beautiful bride he boxes in. Scary ghosts. Black cats. Secret doors. But what more do you want? Well, there is more. Even more horrible hanky-panky than you can imagine in the horrible Dr. Hitchcock. In blood red, ghost green, turned blue with cold fright. Color. This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky von Helsing. You know, we really only have one last living connection to classic horror these days. Uh, a classic scream queen who is still with us and I've had an opportunity to meet a few times in an interview and all that. And you may have even met her at a convention yourself. I'm talking about Barbara Steele. Although I probably should have said we were talking about Steve Turk because that's this week's guest. Steve, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And yeah, Barbara Steele is definitely the, the selling point for this movie. Barbara Steele's great. You know, she is just amazing to watch. I cannot get over her eyes. There's just something about her that is just draws you in. And that's ultimately what drew me into this movie when you brought it up. Uh, should we talk a little bit about the history of, of why or, or the explanation as to how this movie came up for us? As usual, I think our last few movies, The Cave of the Living Dead and Shh, Octopus, are movies that you and I both have not <laughs> seen prior to doing this review. <laughs> I forgot about Shh, The Octopus. That movie's great. Shh, the Octopus. <laughs> Still one of the best transformation scenes oh, yeah. that I've seen in film. I mean, it's in the top 10 for me because it's just how they pulled it off. Top five, man. It's so good. Go back to one of Derek's earlier podcasts. You can hear it. 
the octopus, and it's definitely a thumbs up from both of us. You know, if you want to hear more things about it, it's back there in Derek's back catalog with like eight thousand other episodes. Actually, what it was it like four hundred and ninety something? I don't know when yeah. it's coming yeah, out. Yeah, it'll so. be four hundred ninety <laughs> something. Four hundred ninety something. Um, but yeah, so those two movies were movies that we did. They were sight unseen picks. You know, maybe, maybe we should call what we do here, Steve, when we, I have you on. Uh, like the sight unseen series continues with a movie that neither Steve nor Derek have watched before. One of these days we're both bound to pick the stumble upon a movie and we're both going to be going like, Oh, why? Oh, there's but, a reason but, but, why we've never seen this one before. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I think so far we've had good success. The good part about it is, is that neither one of us are an expert on this film though. I'm sure there are going to be experts with this particular type of film that we're going to be talking about where the other two, I think were more way more lesser known than this one. Yeah. I think we've been pretty lucky and it's you know, mostly because of you, because you're the one that really ultimately picked the titles. Uh, you're the one that recommended cave of the living dead. You're the one that recommended Shh, the octopus. And during our conversations, I think you're the one that mentioned this title when we were trying to come up with something, you know, among a handful of others, but this is the one that came up and uh, we're talking about the long hair of death. The long hair of death. Our story takes place at the end of the 15th century, a time when the powers of darkness were at their strongest, and man lived in fear of the unknown. A time when witch burning was a common occurrence, a public spectacle. The Long Hair of Death, a film that will chill your spine and keep you gripped in your seat as you watch one of the most incredible stories of all time unfold before your eyes. You will see how the curse of a dying witch comes true as a village is ravaged by the plague and a man is hounded by his conscience and driven to commit one foul murder after another as he tries to satisfy his warped ambition. This is actually one that I've had in my Blu-ray collection for a while. I just never got around to watching it. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, as a physical media guy, as a monster movie, as a movie fan, you know, you end up with so many movies that you just know you're never going to have time to watch them all, but you just can't help yourself. And this is one that I picked up years ago when it came out on Blue. Finally had a reason to watch it. And listeners, the hardest part with Derek and, and I coming up with things we both haven't seen, it's not me coming up with a movie that I haven't seen in this monster movie genre. It's finding one that Derek hasn't seen. So it's like I'll send him like 10 different films. Like, have you seen this one? And I'll give him a list and he'll narrow it down to a couple. And then I'll be like, I'll pick one. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember what some of the other ones were this time around, but yeah, you did send me a list. I'm like, well, check. Seen that one, that one, check, that one, check, that one, check. Yeah. Uh, So I'm glad we settled on this one. Like I said, it gave me an opportunity to to break the Blu-ray out and finally sit down to watch it. It's it's one that I've been meaning to watch. Like I said, Barbara Seal, I'm a fan of. And Antonio Margheriti, the director, I'm a fan of. But I'm learning a few things about my fandom for Margheriti through watching this. And we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Now, it's also available on Amazon Prime, which is ultimately, I think, one of the other selling points for this quote-unquote sight unseen series that you and I do, Steve, is making sure that it's available out there for people to see if they want yeah. to. You know, it's low effort. You know, if you, if you have Amazon Prime, it's there for you. This is also available on some other places online. It's there for you. That's how I saw it was Amazon Prime. The, the, there was, they have two versions of it. One of them, I think, is in Italian, and the other one is the English dub. The Italian dub, the English dub. And I know how a lot of people are like, oh, I should watch it in its original language. The thing with this film, I think 
it's like a lot of Italian films or Spanish films that came around that time frame. You have people from so many different countries, and I think they all speak their native language, and they dub everybody. So, yeah, I think whichever one you go, if you're getting a dubbed version from somebody, and that's true. Uh, that's something that happens with a lot of Italian cinema, especially if it was designed for export. Uh, they would just have everybody on set speak whatever language you're going to speak. They wouldn't record the audio normally anyway, or the dialogue. A lot of the live sound was just not picked up and it was later on dubbed for whatever market it's going to go to you see this specifically with a lot of the spaghetti westerns if you watch a lot of spaghetti westerns like i do uh, you will notice that almost all of the dialogue is dubbed by somebody else you see this with a lot of uh, kung fu movies as well they didn't record live sound either and in their case it's because they were surrounded by modern life modern society you can't shoot a classic kung fu movie and have the sound of trains planes and automobiles running around out in the background you know so in their case they didn't even bother uh with the spaghetti western some of it was that but some of it was also just yeah speak whatever your language is we'll fix it later in post and i feel like that did happen with a lot of the italian genre films as well i don't know if it was to the same extent but i do feel like there's no such thing as the original language with a lot of these movies Exactly. And I will say out of the two Amazon Prime versions, the one in Italian has a, is a better visual. It's, it's a better yeah. transfer than the English, the English dubbed one. So yes. it's, it's one of those, you know, if you want to watch it in subtitle and get a better transfer, you got the one. If you just want to hear it in English or if you just want to watch the English one first and then see it again, you can see it with the better transfer with the Italian one. Yeah, I did check the Amazon Prime editions just to kind of see how it compared to the Blu-ray. And the Blu-ray, of course, looks a lot better. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The uh, one looks significantly better than the other in terms of the transfer and the sharpness and the clearness of the picture, that sort of thing. But Derek, before we get too far, I got to ask you a question. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> What's up? What is best in life? <laughs> what is best in life? <laughs> oh, man. Why, why are you doing this to me, man? Uh, I'll give you the reason why, but I just want you to answer the question there, because usually you ask people questions. But I'm going to ask you, what is best in life? Crush your enemies. See them driven before you and the lamentations of their women. I mean, come on. Let's hear it directly from the source. What is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and they hear the lamentation of their women. Derek nailed it. What 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 just happened here? Whose podcast is this? What what what's going on? We want Conan the Destroyer. You know what? Okay, <laughs> I'm just going to put this out there. And, and Steve actually brought this up during our man. We must have been chatting for an hour before I hit record during our pre-recording conversation. There's been kind of an ongoing conversation between Steve and I, sometimes so publicly, sometimes privately, about the Conan movies. I know this has nothing to do with the long hair of death or monster kid radio, but you know what? I'm just gonna put it out there anyway. Steve really wants me to come onto his show, the diecast movie podcast and talk about Conan, the destroyer. I'm not a huge fan. At least I don't remember being a huge fan. I prefer Conan, the barbarian. I think it's a better film. I'm also a huge fan of Robert E. Howard. I'm going to spring this on you, Steve. What if we do this and listeners, let me know if you think this is a good idea. I'm warming up to the idea of talking about Conan the Barbarian here on Monster Kid Radio. I wasn't really thinking about it before. Steve mentioned it. I kind of poo-pooed the idea, but now maybe we do. Maybe we coordinate this. Conan the Barbarian on my show, Conan the Destroyer on your show, and then also on your show, we finally do the episode on the whole wide world. 
because that's about Robert E. Howard. What do you think? Well, I brought it up to you, so you know I'm game for it. Yeah, the whole wide world will be fine. It might not be out the same, you know, like like the week after we do the Conan the Destroyer and Conan the Barbarian, but it would definitely be out within a short period of time of those two. No, I said we do a boom, boom, boom. Maybe not, I mean, yeah, not, not like the same week or whatever. I just said boom, boom, boom. Make it a, a Robert E. Howard triple feature thing. I'm game for it. Cool. You know, we can do it. And for some crazy reason, if I don't like how you're answering with Conan the Destroyer and talking about it, I might throw Red Sonja at you just to drive you nuts. See, you could do that, but technically Red Sonja is not a Robert E. Howard creation. So, you know... Conan's technically not in it. No, Conan's not in it. Um, Red Sonja was actually based on the comic books uh, written by by Roy Thomas and those that were at Marvel uh, that did get kind of roped into the Conan universe over there, but it's not a Robert E. Howard thing. Oh, I got better. I got better. The, the movie that should have been the third Conan movie, but they reworked it. Call the, I think it's the, the Conqueror or the Call the Destroyer. Uh, oh, K-U-L-L. <laughs> Call the Conqueror with Kevin Sorbo. Um, I have very strong feelings about. They're not nice. I prefer Conan the Destroyer. <laughs> <laughs> See, we got, you can't say nice things about Conan the Destroyer. I, I can. Mean, I can say Conan the Destroyer. At least it's not Cole the Conqueror. <laughs> and it's not Red Sonja. It's better than both, you know, in my opinion. But it's, you know, uh, everybody's got different opinions. Red Sonja's <laughs> got better music. Red Sonja's music by Ennio Morricone. Sorry. It's just, it's better. Uh, music can only carry you so far. <laughs> funny you say that. And we'll talk about the music of Conan down the line when we do this listeners what do you think do you support this idea let me know and then we'll probably just do it anyway because you know it's my pot no i'm just kidding let me know <laughs> if i get an overwhelmingly no we're not interested then i won't do conan the barbarian over here but i, I like the idea well if the person the listeners poo poo the idea on your side we can always do it as a an extra movie on our side i love how we're talking about conan the barbarian one we're talking about poo pooing it which is a phrase that he would never ever use and two we're supposed to be talking about long hair of death. <laughs> what is happening here? What What is going on? Well, Conan has long hair. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. I, I guess. I found a way to tie it together. I mean, go, I, go with what you got. <laughs> I guess there's kind of like a resurrection in both, right? Kind of, sort of. Briefly. That is true. Maybe. That oh, is hey, true. you know what? They're both, they're both movies. Now you're just being cruel. Now you're just being cruel. You know? It's a movie. I mean, Conan the Barbarian <laughs> is an experience. They both have great scores. I really like the music of Long Hair of Death. Not for the same reasons, but I really like it. That's one of the more interesting things. This movie was very polarizing to me when watching it, the different parts. Yeah, the tone shifts quite a bit and i recently watched a video over on a youtube channel man i forget the name of it so uh listeners i will look it up and mention it later on in this episode when i am able to do some research on it but there's a a video channel that does a series of like pop culture analysis and things like that and this particular episode talked about the rules of horror and how scream got it wrong you know there's that bit in scream where he's like these are the rules of horror and this video is kind of like well yeah that's good for slashers but not for zombie movies or science fiction horror or for gothic horror or whatever and it really kind of sunk in for me what technically makes up a gothic horror film 
And this movie, I mean, really exemplifies a lot of that in terms of its setting and these frustrated desires and, and things like that. And, and that really is on display here. It's uncomfortable to watch sometimes, but that's, that's really here. And those were the parts where I was a little like, oh, I don't know, man. Yeah, I will say the atmosphere of it, the gothic nature, was definitely on the plus side. I looked at that it was in black and white. Yes. I think it really served it to help the movie. Oh, Barbara yeah. Steele, as always, is amazing. And when she gives you that certain look, you know you're going to die soon. You know, so the acting was fine or, or great, depending on which actor we're talking about. The script or the editing, I'm not sure which part without having seen the script, because sometimes it was edited re- really weirdly. Like, it would just jump, and it would take you a little bit to catch up to what's going on. So there, there was some interesting editing choices. But that first, I, I, to be honest with the listeners, the first half hour was very hard for me to watch. And that's because I used to work on the college campus and special police officer. And I have a very low tolerance for sexual assault. And um, there was a lot of sexual assault going on that first half hour. It, it made it uncomfortable to watch. And I made it through it. And the last hour of the movie was a lot better. Uh, but that first half hour was was tough. And I mean, it, 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 everybody's different. I know you could say it's a product of its time and that kind of stuff, but I'm watching it in 2020. And and from my past experiences, it, it made it a little tougher for me. And everybody's going to be coming in with their different uh, thresholds and how they can handle certain things. And I think that, I'll just to be honest, that's, what, that's where I stand with that first part of the film. I don't think it's a controversial or hot take to say, we don't like sexual assault. Um, I think that's kind of a given. Uh, and, and really, I understand the placement of this in the film. It could have been done with a little less explicitness, and not that it gets overly graphic, but it, it, it could have been a little more implied, I suppose. And it is, again, part of the formula. You know, we're going to see some perverse sexual stuff happening, some aggressive stuff happening. And then they're going to pay for it. And that does tend to seem, be a theme in a lot of different kinds of horror subgenres, right? It's not like this is something the hero is doing and yay, good for him. I mean, it, he's going to get what's coming to him. It's just unfortunate that he had to do those things to get what's coming to him. Does that, I don't know if I'm making much sense here, but it's just, it's not pleasant. And I agree with Steve. I think the movie starts really strong. I think that opening bit with the burning and everything, I thought that was very well done. I think it comes very close to being almost as good as the opening for Black Sunday, another Barbara Steele film, right? I love Bar- I love Black Sunday a lot. And the way that's kind of done and constructed in the pacing, and I really like the way the pacing and the construction of the burning of the witch or whatever in this film was handled. I thought it was very unique, and I loved the way it was executed. <laughs> I love the way she yeah, was executed, I, I, but I love the way the scene was executed. Well, is that, I agree with you, because when you see a supposed witch being burned, we're used to seeing the person tied to a stake or big or big um, pole in the ground and branches or whatever put around them. This one took it a totally different way, which made it visually interesting. I mean, uh, oh yeah, almost almost like you said, spectacular because they they had all these I don't know what were barrels of hay or branches or whatever piled up around, so it was almost like its own little structure with the walls, and then they're set on fire, and and she is in there trying to 
work her way around as, the, as these walls are falling into fire. And eventually she climbs up the cross that was in the middle of the wooden cross to be burned. And that's because she had to get the higher ground because the flame but kept forcing her into the middle and then having to go up so she didn't get burned. And then, of course, as all people do, she lays down the curse with her dying breath on the family that did her wrong. And as we find out, she was burned for something that she did not do, which happened so many times back. This is set in the 1490s time frame of history. So a lot of times, you know, women were not given any rights or whatever. But the man says, especially a count or a baron says, you did this wrong. Boom. You're pretty much a goner. I was pleasantly surprised because I really felt like they were not going to have her admit to being whatever it was she was supposedly supposed to be. The the end when she is laying down the curse and everything is like, oh, I guess she really did have a little bit of anima. I don't know. It just felt like they were playing with my expectations up until that point. And I really appreciated that little ride that, that Marguerite and company took me on. Uh, and the visual of her burning on the cross you see her catch fire. It's not just fire in the beginning you know, between the camera and the actress. You see a body catch fire. I'm sure it was a dummy. I don't care. It looked really good. Oh, yeah. The special effects were excellent. And I'll talk about another one later on when we get to it. What I thought was great was the actress that played Adele, who was the mother, um, also played Lisbeth, her daughter, or one of her daughters. You know, you're talking about somebody that's in their 20s and with the old age makeup and the way she played it and was able to do her acting. You didn't know it was the same actress playing both roles. I got to commend her for her acting ability and, and also the makeup for able to play it off. And so nobody knew it was the same person. And of course, you know, since they're, they're mother daughter, you expect them to look roughly the same when, you know, when she's playing or when she's playing the older Elizabeth and as the movie goes on. I had a hard time finding any technical flaws with a lot of this. Uh, the makeup, uh, the, the cinematography to kind of illustrate who's who and who's supposed to resemble what. I really felt that technically everybody was on their game in this. It's just that once you get past that opening scene and you start to see just how dastardly uh, the, what was the account? And, and just. The account humbled. Yeah. Humbled the count the baron whatever he was just how he's just a bad guy man he's just a bad dude well he was the one barbara Steele's character helen goes to him and was basically saying my mom is innocent she's not the one who did the murder the murder was done by somebody in your house which we find out later on who did that and he basically implies that oh if you do this for me in bed I'll spare your mother. And she's like, well, they're about to burn her now. Oh, they won't do it if I'm not there. Knowing full well, they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. And yeah. of course, if she's in bed with him, she hears her, the, the mom screaming. And that's when she puts the curse on when She runs there and realizes that she had been used by the count. And I thought when she went to the aftermath of the burning and she's grabbing the ash that the, the, the cinematography that that part where she's just going there and holding it up and it's like you can see the ash going mm -hmm. through the air yeah oh that was that was um very well done i mean it was just uh, stunning to see you don't want to say beautiful because it's something tragic happened but it, it definitely set the course for what her character was going to do 
And I thought it was interesting, but what happened to her character? I wasn't expecting that twist. Which one? You know, <laughs> I feel like there were a couple we're, of things that him, that kind of well, came out of that. happens early in the film, so I don't think we're spoiling the movie in this part because it's early, where Helen gets killed by yeah. the Count. Yeah. You know, and I, was, I was just like, wow, they just offed Barbara Steele's character rather early on, you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, how's this going to play out? And, <laughs> when I saw that happen, I was like, oh, we have another she-beast situation here where Barbara Steele showed up on set for a day. No, it's not that. I mean, she, she's later in the film, too. But, yeah, I was really kind of surprised by that, too. But Like I said, you said technically, it's in. I think the only thought walls I find with the technically, like I said, are with the editing or directing choices with the cut, you know, because there's some things that are just jumbled a little bit to make it not as good as it could have been if it was a little more of a deft hand on the editing board this could have really been you know much more cohesive film at certain spots i see what you're saying there and i think maybe because i've watched and i don't think it's unfair to say i've probably watched a lot more uh italian genre cinema than you uh, as well as like Euro spies and spaghetti westerns and things like that. I'm starting to get used to that editing style. And I don't know if it's a stylistic choice or a result of the function of cutting things a certain way so that they can be played around the world with different edits and cuts and dialogues and dubs or whatever. But I, I'm getting a little bit more adjusted to that. So may, maybe that's why I didn't pick up on it as, as distractingly as you did. But I think it's a valid point. I think it's a very valid point. I'm also a, a big fan of Italian spaghetti westerns so it's oh it's yeah so you know yeah movie. yeah so but it doesn't mean i don't point it out you know just oh because, yeah yeah you know, it's, it's it's one of those things i mean i was able to understand what was going on and stuff like that but you just wanted either a scene a little more fleshed out or a little bit of a transfer from scene to scene okay like i said i think it's totally valid i think you're absolutely right it just didn't affect me as much but now that you're pointing it out i i totally get it i totally get what you're saying I agree with you, Steve, about this point. Maybe not about Conan the Destroyer, but I agree with you about this. <laughs> now, I got to say, um, Humboldt, who's the Count's son, George Artisan, uh-huh. plays him. I don't think that's, I don't know if that's his real name or what it is. I think he's a time like he might have a different name. Um, and that might have been his, the name they put on the poster. He was good at playing bad. Oh, man, I hated him. I hated him. And I think George Artisan was actually his uh, quote unquote real name or, or I guess Giorgio would be his real name, but uh, yeah, George Artisan. Yeah, Giorgio. Was the, yeah. George was the name that he used for most of the, it was the name that was used for most of his work. And, you know, I'd seen him around, I've seen him in a lot of the era spy films. I've seen him in Spaghetti Westerns. He was in Hercules in the Haunted World. So I've seen him a lot. This is probably one of the performances where I hated him the most. It's like, dude, I cannot wait for you to get yours. He was such a narcissistic, yeah. sociopathic, evil person that you love to see when happens to him at the end happen to him, which is so Wicker Man esque. Yes, I was that I loved it. Oh man, <laughs> I I'm a huge fan of the Wicker Man. I know that movie's pretty divisive, and I have a certain take on it that not a lot of people agree with. But I love the Wicker Man, and I felt like the ending of this. If whoever wrote The Wicker Man didn't see this, I'd be really surprised. That would be interesting to see the history of it all. And, of course, I'm assuming you're talking about the Christopher Lee, The Wicker Man, and not the Nicolas Cage, The Wicker Man. Why Why you got to do this to me, man? Just because we want clarity. I'm used to working with young people on my podcast, and you know, you say the <laughs> one, they're thinking, they go with the one that's the most recent, and they're like, 
Oh, you really like that? No, no, I'm talking about the other one with Christopher Lee. And that's one of my biggest problems with remakes. If I can go on a, ta- I'm going to go on a tangent here. One of the go biggest problems, go for one it. One of the biggest problems that I have with any remake, whether it's an adaptation of a pre- previously done story that's well loved, or a remake of something else, I just my biggest issue is that it dilutes the shared popular culture. Like back in the day when I was doing Mail Order Zombie and I was bringing up Dawn of the Dead, I always had to clarify, no, 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 not the one with the fast zombies. You know, you can't have that shared conversation anymore without putting in a bunch of clarifiers and all that. And and that's my biggest issue with remakes is that it, it, it dilutes that. It divides us. It doesn't bring us together. That's my problem. So Nick Cage, you deserve what happened to you with the bees and the Wicker Man. Moving on. Well said, sir. Well said. You know, and I really like the Wicker Man, and and I actually came to that one late. And you know what? I'm probably going to talk about it here on the show at some point. I know it's '70s. I don't care. That movie is effective, effective, and one of my favorite Christopher Lee performances. It's in my top three of his performances, and it's one of my favorite films. And it's just really, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. It holds up for the test of time. And, and oh, not only yeah. do I like it, but Ben, my oldest son, likes it too. Um, wow. It's, it's just really, really good. I mean, uh, how it goes through it. Of course, none of this has to do, well, it actually does have to do with the long hair death because of the similar ending. Yeah. The ending is, is pretty similar. The way the visuals are kind of constructed and, and what happens to a, a character is very similar. And I picked up on that right away the first time I well, just recently watched this. But as I'm doing a little bit of digging online to see what other people thought of the movie, that sort of thing, other people pointed it out too. So it wasn't just, you know, us saying, hey, we like this movie. Maybe it's in there. You know, it, it's pretty obvious. And how they filmed it and did it was mm-hmm. was great. The eye acting was just awesome. You know, I mean, like I said, George did such a great job playing Kurt. And you just wanted to see him get it. As you said, he was so vile. The character, oh, you wanted him to go down. Yeah, and and I'm glad it happened. I mean, it's that, that payoff for this guy who does all these terrible, terrible things. We've already talked a little bit about it earlier and probably don't need to go into it again too much, but he does some despicable things. He deserves what's coming to him. This movie has so many elements of a revenge film that I think gives this movie its power because there are some long stretches that I really struggled with. The ending, I mean, the last half hour Oh man, is just gold. Mm-hmm. It's just gold. Also, like you talked about special effects or things, when Barbara Steele comes back as Mary. Oh, man. I loved how they did those effects. Mm-hmm. You know, when her, when her character is coming back, the, the makeup and the whatever they did, it, it just worked so well. Just an image that just stays with you long after the film. Yeah, when I think about this movie... I think about those moments. I think about the... So when I'm thinking about this movie in the future, too, I'm going to think about the beginning sequence with the burning. I'm going to think about uh, the Wicker Man-esque ending. And I'm going to think about that resurrection, that that scene. It was so good. And you have to give the scriptwriter and the director credit because the burning in the beginning and the burning at the end, bookend the movie, it ties it all together. It's a, a gothic sandwich. I mean, it's fire, gothic, oh no. Fire, and it's great. The the storytelling here, very well done. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the director. I like Antonio Margariti a lot, and I, I'm sure part of it had to do with him. Uh, he did do some uncredited work on the screenplay, but a few other people were involved as well. And 
you know what? The more that I'm talking about this, I was ready to say at the beginning of all this, I find myself really liking Margarita's science fiction better than this other stuff. But the more I talk about this, no, I don't know if that's true. I love his sci-fi, but I think I'm loving his gothic stuff just as much. Now that we're kind of talking about it. Yeah, well, I try not to compare. When somebody does two different genres, it's hard to compare the two. I mean, you can compare the directing style and other things that the director does, but when you go from one genre to another, it is so tough to compare them. So I try not to do that myself. I try to look at the film, and and this film is very well done, except for the problem I brought up already. And, And I can't blame him for the director for the parts that were written. And again, back in 1960s, when this came out, 1964, I believe, that was probably not as big of an issue as it is, as we said, nowadays. But even then, it was handled, I mean, it was considered vile in that movie. So it's like, it wasn't like they were portraying in any way positive. It was considered very much a negative all the way through it. But I do like, not the middle, like more like the second half, but just after the middle, maybe like the last two-fifths of the movie, where you start to wonder who knows what and who's playing who with all the characters. There's a lot of mystery going on here. Who's in on it? Who's really doing it? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So many people like already in on it. They're not in on it. Of Kurt's paranoia as to who knows what and doesn't know what. Mary egging him on to do these different things before they reveal, you know, who's dead, who's alive. It's almost like a murder mystery mixed in with gothic horror, mixed in with ghost story, all thrown together. So it keeps you as the viewer wondering what's going on. And I guess, like you said, that very opening scene and then that last two-fifths of the movie are really, really, really strong. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, I mentioned the music earlier. I love the music. I can't go more than two or three episodes without talking about the music of the movie that we're talking about, right? So, uh, yeah, as far as the music goes, I I was a big fan of the music, and I felt like that kind of carried a lot of it, too. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the guy's name. Carlo R. Uh, (laughs) Probably get it wrong. Uh, Rostichelli? There you go. Rostichelli? Okay. I don't know. I'm hey. guessing. Hey, you need Rod Barnett to get these names right. Right? But he's an Italian composer, and he was all over the place. You know, did fantasy, did drama, did Euro crime, did all sorts of crazy, you know, all sorts of things over there uh, in Italy. And uh, he, you know, had quite the career. And I think this is some great work. It transcends the typical, stereotypical uh, gothic heavy, lots of harpsichord, lots of, you know, oppressive. There's some some transcendence here with the kind of music that he provides for this that carries the film along. Even when things kind of slow down a little bit, at least I got the music to listen to. One thing I absolutely loved with the music and the director's choice, or the editor's choice, or both, when Kurt was listening, like was acting, all of a sudden he hears something. Before that, there was no music. And suddenly they're playing this haunting music. Mm-hmm. And the way it's played in the film, as if his character is hearing this music and it is making him wonder where is it coming from. I mean, just the way they, they, they edit it in so perfectly with his reaction, which makes me wonder if they had the music or some kind of music ahead of time for him to play off of as an actor. But I thought that was just so well done. I don't know if you felt that same way, but when he suddenly had to turn and the music was, it was everything was right yeah. on target. That, that's part of the reason why I was so moved by, or by, yeah, so moved by it, so affected by it, is that the way it was used to help direct the story. It wasn't just 
something to put lay over the film and say, okay, it's got a score now. It was used to help kind of direct the story and direct some of the, even some of the character actions. I think that's the one thing a lot of modern movies are missing. They're just going for the same cookie cutter type composing or bombasticness, and it doesn't fit the movie all the time. And it, and you can tell when it's they work together so well, and you can tell with those composers that are giving the time and the opportunity to do those type of things, you were able to really get some great work. Like with Reber Clark from the house of the Gorgon, you know, you're really able to get those nice emotions and things going with it. So it still happens nowadays, but it's just, it seems more with the modern films, the big, the blockbuster ones, you don't get it as often. Yeah. I mean, and now we're kind of devolving into a criticism on modern Hollywood, but you're absolutely right. A lot of times music is just kind of thrown in there from start to finish, like wallpaper, uh, but really garish wallpaper all over everything. Uh, it's just too much and too samey samey. I find myself really enjoying the more modern work of people who either use that older aesthetic, like Reber, Troy Sterling Nisa, nice, somebody else whose work I really like, or stuff that is so far outside the box. I don't know. I don't consider it an older aesthetic. I just consider it allowing a creator to create things that'll fit the movie. Yeah. Okay. You know, it, yeah. It, 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 so I don't really consider it old style, new style. I consider it to me the proper style. <laughs> <laughs> right on. A lot of times it's independent films, you know, you listen to nowadays that really are embracing and allowing that creative freedom from different composers to go through and do great music and allow that to integrate it into the film in such a way. So it comes down to budget, the director, the creative forces. But when you give, great creators the chance to create you're usually going to get what Derek? magic exactly magic <laughs> and that's that's the beauty that's the beauty of it all speaking of things that you don't see as much nowadays i, I love the poster art yes there's a couple different versions i love the one with the man with the skull head and the long-haired person you know like they're in an embrace and so many posters nowadays, like they all look the same, mm-hmm. you know, but again, the blockbusters things, it's like, oh, that's what they want. That's what marketing wants or whatever. And I like it when you see posters that take that style and, and, and utilize it and make things nicer that fit with the movie, that tell a story on its own. That's what's missing, you know, still. And again, if you have a, a movie that you're spending $200 million on, how much is it costing you really to have somebody come up with awesome artwork it's like nothing compared to your budget yeah i mean all the modern day posters you know various shades of blue and teal and and, and orange something's obviously a photoshop job which you know i do a lot of photoshop work you know and i get that you know all all the movie poster artwork that i redesigned for mkr it's all done on photoshop but there's just something texturally different about original artwork showing up in a poster like that. It's actually used to promote the movie as opposed to reinforcing the movie. I I don't know how you would really describe it or describe the difference, except, you know, it's painted, it's hand-drawn. I love that image of the long, blonde-haired woman caressing the man with the skull. That is such an icon. To me, it would be an iconic image if more people knew about this movie. You and I remember the days when we go to, because you used to work at one, a video store. Mm Mm-hmm. How many times was it the cover art of the DVD or the videotape that drew you in? It's like, oh, I'm going to get this because the cover art was so good. Or you see the posters on the wall when you go to the movie theater, which is its whole point. You see that, you're like, 
that poster is just so intriguing. And then it makes you want to see it selling the film. And when you look at great poster art like this one or for, from It's a Mad, 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 Mad World or other movies, you can see the soul in the artwork from the artist creating it. And it's the soul of the movie speaking to you. When you're Photoshopping something that's been done 50 or 60 times, it's lost that uniqueness, that creative force, that soul, which it might have had when it originally came out, when it first hit you because it was new, it was fresh. And instead of letting people come up with something new each time, it's like, oh, let's just do a redo of a redo of a redo. And then eventually it's, what's the point? You know, it's, it's like the cover art means nothing. But of course, nowadays, the, the cover art, the poster art doesn't sell the movie like it did back in the days of the 60s, 50s, 70s, whatever, you know, pick any decade, the 80s earlier. It was like when the 2000s started pretty much where that shifted. That's just a sad thing that's missing there is that, that creative force. And that's why I love looking at this poster, this poster art and it just draws you in. The way we consume or decide what movies to watch now is a little different because of how they're presented to us, whether it's streaming or whatever the YouTube thumbnail looks like or whatever. So, it's, you know, you don't have the opportunity maybe for some of this, but the poster art for this one, I'm going to flat out say it. I love this and I think it's one of my favorite Italian movie posters. And I like a lot of Italian movie posters, but this is one of my favorites. I really love the image here. Just, just oh, there's a story the being told here. There is a story being told in the poster. Does it necessarily match the movie? Well, maybe, but there's a story being told in this poster, and I want this on my wall. Oh yeah, I mean, this is something I would love to have. I mean, uh, the other movie I mentioned, you know, it's a Mad 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 World. I'd love that original poster art. Mm-hmm. And, and there's so many other films. You're just able to see it. I'm looking right now at um Trinity movie. You know, the, the sequel to the Trinity movie poster. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I got that hanging up in my wall. Oh, you know? nice. Just, and you look at it, and yes, it shows you iconic images from the movie, and it just draws your eye to it, and you just enjoy it. And again, talking about Italian-type style, this was, I think, more in the 70s, but it's still roughly in that same time period, and it just sells that movie to you and draws you in, and you can just enjoy the work in a different way same thing as you said with the music owning the cd you get to enjoy the work of this movie this creative union that brought things together in yet another way and when you play that music or look at that poster you reminisce about those different scenes of the movie that you enjoyed and that's it adds that extra flavor to it yeah it works as a standalone piece as well as an accompanying piece you know i was prepared to go into this conversation not as enthusiastic about it as we have been with some of our other sight unseen picks. But as this conversation continues, as, as we're nearing what the uh, 45 minute mark or so before I do the edit, I'm finding this movie to be an excellent example of what we don't like about a lot of other movies <laughs> being made now. And I don't know if that speaks to the quality of this film or this film just holds up as a really good example of the kind of things that we really like, despite some of the stuff that we really don't like, you know, near the beginning of the film. I think we like we kind of beat that one part yeah, yeah, yeah. to death, so to speak. I mean, we talked about it. It's out there. Yeah, I don't mean to keep coming back to it, but yeah. But I can enjoy the other aspects of the film. And, yeah. and I think you and I both agree. It starts off with that first 10 minutes. Really good. Really strong. And then it kind of 
meanders a little while. And then, like I said, that last 40 some odd percent of the movie, I was intrigued, like I said, with the um, who knows what, who's doing what going on with the characters. And then that final 10 minutes or 15 minutes or so, the movie is just great. Oh, man. Really good. Really good. I'm really glad we chose this one. Now, I know we've danced around the story and really the story, while there is a through line, because some of it does meander a little bit, you kind of lose the thread a little bit of it. But I think we've pretty much told you what happens. I mean, somebody's killed who shouldn't have been killed. There's a revenge plot. <laughs> it's pretty a basic story there, right? But the way they exact the revenge is what makes this movie special. I don't think we gave away, you know, I mean, we kind of gave away the ending a little bit, but we didn't explain how it happens and seeing how it all plays out. Mm -hmm. We didn't tell anybody at all. And I think that's one of the things it's nice to avoid because not everybody I think has seen this film. This is one that's a little lesser known than some of the other ones that we talk about. And I know we give the spoiler warning and we know we go through all of that, but this is one of those ones where I, I do intentionally want to be vague about the ending. When we look at it with the cave of the living dead, the octopus oh, and the long hair of death, <laughs> there's a triple feature <laughs> oh man well well that's a triple feature we've done <laughs> yeah. oh whoa yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you know you think about it we've been lucky with the films that we've been doing i mean um the cave of the living dead was so fun i mean all the way through yeah i think out of the three it's my favorite and i have to put some the octopus and long hair depth and equal at number two you know, for different reasons because they're two totally different types of films Wow, okay. All three of them are totally different. The long hair almost, like I said, it was a struggle to get rid of some of those scenes, but I think it helps set up why we hate Kurt so much. And it's not as graphic as we're making it sound, but it's just... No, I mean, you know what happens, you know, and I feel like it, it skirts the line of being exploitive. It, it doesn't quite go there. It, it is all character-driven. It's just unfortunate that he's that kind of character. But, like I said, he gets what's coming to him. Oh, does he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just think, this thing could have had sequels, too. Could you imagine? There, the long hair death, then it could have been the, you know, the short hair of something, you know, or, or, the, or the bald. Oh, no, keep going. I, head no, keep going. Please, the, tell me the more. Ball, the, the, sorry, <laughs> the, 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 the short hair of stabbing, you know, the bald hair of, amusement i don't know you could keep going with it you know they, they could have done all these like various haircut things i see could have been then it could have been the hair trilogy the hair trilogy uh you know um yeah i got nothing uh, <laughs> i i purposely did it that with this just to see if you could fall you know i knew i was going to get you i got nothing let's see at first i thought you were going to be, be making a crack about how i shaved my head but beyond that oh you shaved your head you, you, you're looking like colonel kurtz yes steve that was my intention. Well, you know, go for it, man. It worked for Marlo. Mar uh, Marlo. Marlon. <laughs> Marlo. No, Marlo. Mar <laughs> uh-huh. That guy. <laughs> yeah, that guy. <laughs> oh, man. Overall, I like the movie a lot, yeah, um, to try to get this back. <laughs> you could be the next Brando, you know, of, of the podcast. Uh-huh. Back on track here. Um Overall, I'm glad we watched it. But those three films I mentioned, what order would you put them in? Oh, I'm, I'm with you. Cable Living Dead is great. That's my favorite that we've done so far. And I would put this in shh together. Um, not as a double feature because they're totally different. But in terms of like enjoyment level, 
I think this movie's got some really great scenes in it. I think the transformation scene and the octopus really makes that movie transcend most of the movies of that type. But I really enjoyed Cave of the Living Dead a lot. That one's just awesome. That was pure gold. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. In fact, uh, recently there's been that Facebook challenge thing where people are supposed to put an image of a movie that they really liked or whatever. Uh, no explanation. And I, I noticed that you put Cave of the Living Dead in that mix. Yeah, but unlike other people, I actually explained why. So. Yeah, Steve doesn't follow the rules, but, you know. Well, if you don't put why, you know, some things, how they affect you, it's, it's, it's kind of just an image or it's just a poster or whatever. It doesn't really tell anything. And I think part of the reason is how it, how it did touch you. And also I had, when I did the comic book one where I put images up and you weren't supposed to give an explanation, one guy just thought I was joking about the certain things I picked. Because I didn't put any explanation. He's like, oh, he's just playing them. And so I was like, oh, the, the heck with this. That's it. I'm just going to explain why so I don't get this stuff people saying, oh, he's just saying that because he's saying it. You know, there are reasons why I pick certain things. <laughs> one of those being Steve doesn't like to follow the rules. I totally understand. Well, you know, if you don't like the rules, make them, you know, change them. You know, make them your own. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> There's nothing down there that says you must follow that. I mean, you know, it's an internet thing for crying out loud. I mean, you know, I don't know life's man. too short. Enjoy it, you know, so put it down. People take that stuff seriously, man. You end up in Facebook jail. I won't end up in Facebook jail. I mean, if, if they put me in Facebook jail because I explain why I like certain films, then they, 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 they're really going to take a lot of people out. <laughs> <laughs> Will this movie end up on one of those uh, lists or whatever if that if it comes up again? What, my 10 movies? That, no. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it would turn up for me either. Some of it, I think, with movies and the way we watch them and perceive them, which has changed a lot, is everybody used to be able to see them in the theater. It was a group experience. And yeah. When you see the film the way it was intended to be seen in a group setting, it is going to alter the way you feel about that experience forever you know for the rest of your life i mean or it could be that you just saw it with somebody like like i've seen films with my dad or my mom or my brothers and that changes the experience i've seen films with my children and you, and you talk about it afterwards you know mm -hmm. like what you know what'd you like about the film the same thing with these films you and i didn't watch them together but then we get to talk about them afterwards which changes it from an experience of being okay i saw it on amazon prime i was by myself you know but no, I'm going to be, you know, you and I get to talk about it. And as you said during our conversations about this movie, you know, we both talked about things that we didn't care for as much and the things that we did care for as much. And if, and if you put them on a scale, the things that we like way outbalance the things that we didn't like in the overall, if you add them up yeah, and, and stuff like that. And I think, you know, sometimes when you have that opportunity to talk with somebody else and now has that shared experience. And for people that are listening to this, if you've seen this movie prior to doing it with us, it's always a good thing to do. And then you can have that shared experience with us also. Yeah. You know, and, and where we're going through and, and, and basically talk through, except thankfully, you know, the listeners have to give their feedback later, you know, and, and, and doing it right there with us at that same time. Or as you do with your movie things on Saturdays and Tuesday nights, mm -hmm. you know, people were able to do the chat and make it that more of a shared experience and where people can put their thoughts down and different things like that. Well, and how many times in this conversation did I say, you know, I didn't think this until we started talking about it. You know, I thought this, but I changed my mind once we started talking about it. So, I mean, it really does kind of change uh, how movies are perceived and consumed, I think. And this is one that I would recommend watching 
and discussing. I think there's a lot to discuss here. And I think maybe that's, again, one of those those points about this film that I really like is that the more you discuss it, the more you kind of discover about it and you discover about your taste about other movies too. And that's the whole point is that movies, good movies, there are things you can discuss about them, talk about them and get to this point. And then you hit the great movies and it's, it's amazing the amount of levels and layers that you can go through about those particular um, And is this films. where you mentioned Conan the Destroyer again? Is that? <laughs> what, Conan the Destroyer? You mean something like this? <laughs> In his first adventure, he stole the treasure of three kings and crushed the empire of an evil sorcerer. But his biggest triumph was at the box office. Now, Arnold Schwarzenegger is back to join forces with a wizard, a warrior, a runaway, and a renegade. Really? That happened? I was all queued up and ready for that one, baby. You got to be prepared. Wow. Oh, man. Speaking of that. Man, you completely derailed me with that. Man, I I don't know. (laughs) And it's my fault because I mentioned the stinking movie. You mentioned it, and I, uh, you opened the door, that crack, and I just opened it all the way and let Conan and Wilt and Sarah Douglas and all them come right on through. <laughs> oh, boy. You brought it on yourself, Grace Jones. Oh, I mean, what can you say? Ticks off all the boxes. Ticks off something. You think about Sarah Douglas. You know, of course, she played a lot of villains. So she's an excellent actress of playing, you know, the villainesses. Uh-huh. Martine Beswick, another person who's great at playing bad. Okay. That's something you should probably do one day. You, you should have a little round table. And we should talk about either actors or actresses or whatever who are good at playing either the hero, the villain, or, you know, whatever along those lines, the suit actor or that kind of thing. And you can make it a little thing where people can bring up their different stuff, you know, and like talk about those, those different people and, and go for it. A little round table format. Like you did that one time, not that far back with Christopher Mim and, um, Joshua Kennedy and stuff where you guys did a little round table. I had the weirdest crush on Sarah Douglas when I was a kid. It was weird because she was a bad guy and I shouldn't have had a, I shouldn't have had a crush on her, but I did. So she was your eighties girlfriend. No, that was, um, mine's Catherine Mary Stewart. I was going to say, see, there's Catherine Mary Stewart, but I think Jennifer Connelly, what are we talking about now? Steve, why are we all over the place here, man? This is my fault. You look at what you did to me. Because doesn't this happen on every one of your shows? Not, not this badly. Oh, thanks, thanks for putting me in such a great place. I was going to say, you know, we have interesting conversations. I mean, that's what I meant. Yeah, not this interestingly. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you for. Yeah. <laughs> It is time for the executive producer roll call. These are people who have supported Monster Kid Radio by becoming a patron over at Monster Kid Radio's Patreon page, patreon.com slash monsterkidradio. If you support the show at the Toho level or higher, you get your name read off during this very special segment that we do once a month here on the show. These are the executive producers for the month of September. The United Nations of Horror. Chris Staggs, Anthony Wendell, Timothy Forbes, Andrew Campbell, the Mabuse cast, Ted Roddy. 
Tom Gerganis, James Moore, Don Evans, Jerry Green, Curtis, T. McKay, Dwayne and Jen Watson, Alistair Hughes, Stephen Turek, Karen Joan Kahotik, Tammy Anschutz, Paul Curtis, Jonathan Agarella, Charles Babbage, Terry Mount, Bayou Hunter, Jeff Owens, Mitch Gonzalez, Justin Jallo, Steve Sullivan, Tracy and Scott Morris, and of course, Kenny. Thanks again for being part of Monster Kid Radio's success. I wouldn't be able to do what I do without you. Thank you very much. I will be updating the website probably tomorrow to reflect everybody who has supported the show at the AIP level or higher, because that's one of the perks you get for being a patron of Monster Kid Radio and contributing $2 a month at that level. Again, you can learn all about our Patreon campaign over at patreon.com slash monsterkidradio. Some of the things that I'm most proud of is the monster movie bingo card that you get, a new one every month that you support Monster Kid Radio at the hammer level or higher. So go check that out. There are links in the show notes. It's pretty easy to find our Patreon page. Thanks again for all of your support. It means a lot. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for sticking around and being with me as we talked about the long hair of death. Yeah, I know that conversation kind of went all over the place, but you know... When you're friends with the guests, and I'm friends with every guest that comes on here, I can't guarantee that we're going to stay on topic. I mean, we're going to make sure we cover the topic, but all that Conan talk, man. Whew. Anyway, get a hold of Steve Turek. Let him know that you're ready to hear Derek throw down about Conan the Destroyer on his show over at the Diecast Movie Podcast. Like I kept saying throughout the episode, there will be links in the show notes to everything we talked about here on the show. And the show notes you can find over at monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find all of our contact information, links to the band that we played this week. Everything that we talk about here on the show, it's going to be available over there. Plus, if you want to add Long Hair of Death to your collection, you know, pick up that Blu-ray that I kept talking about. You can pick it up through the Amazon affiliate link at monsterkidradio.net. And we get like maybe 50 cents off of that. I'm not sure what the cut is anymore, but... You know, you're helping us out if you do it that way. So, you know, if you can help support the show that way, that'd be awesome. Another way you can help support the show is by leaving an honest review wherever you pick up the show, whether it's iTunes or you download it anywhere else. Heck, we're even in the Amazon Music Store now. So please consider leaving a review wherever you get the show to let people know what you like about the show. I didn't mean to make a rhyme. Anyway, next week on the show, not 100% sure what's coming up. I've got recordings. I just got to figure out which one I can get edited in time. As you can imagine, as a monster kid, as the guy who does monster kid radio, there is so much on my plate in the month of October. And that's even with the Lovecraft film festival, having gone completely virtual and I didn't have to spend a weekend at the Hollywood scratch that I didn't get to spend a weekend at the Hollywood theater, man. I really wish I could have. I wish that the world was in a better place, but you know what? We're doing what we can. That's why I do the podcast. That's why I do the stream over on Twitch. That's why I do everything that I do is because I just want to make sure that Halloween is special for me. If it's special for you too, because of what I'm doing, that's just gravy. You know what I'm saying? So I really appreciate everybody just kind of being part of the Monster Kid Radio collective community, being a Monster Kid Radio head. We really need to come up with something, something that, that sticks. Um, if you have any ideas, let me know. Our contact information, like I said, is on our website as well as links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, and our Twitter. 
you can find us there. And our Patreon, which I just mentioned a moment ago, you can find that over on our website as well. And if you want to read along with me during the reading I'm doing this weekend with the Monster Kid Movie Club crossover with the Gary Con Autumn Revel, I'll make sure there's an Amazon affiliate link for you to pick up your own copy of Monster Hunter for Hire. It's available as an ebook and as an Undead Tree edition. That, that means it's print. You can just pick up a print edition. But you can pick it up either way. It's available. Thanks to everybody who helped to make this episode what it was, including Kenny and Mark and, of course, Steve Turek. Really appreciate everybody's participation in this week's episode. I can't wait to see who I'm going to have on the show next week. Until then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under... I always get it wrong now. Why am I getting it wrong? You know, I've been saying this for seven years. You'd think I'd be able to get this right. It's licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Reanimated. That is copyright 2020, The Creature Preachers. It's from their album Halloween Hullabaloo, and they give us permission to play their music here on the show. The new album came out at the beginning of the month. You can pick up all seven tracks digitally over at thecreaturepreachers.bandcamp.com. Check them out and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name's Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.